This is Alan Johnson, pastor of Old Peace Street Presbyterian Church in Duluth, Georgia. The Bible is God's Word. It describes itself as living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. Therefore, any encounter with the Bible is a momentous thing because it never leaves us unchanged. My prayer for you as you hear this message is that the Holy Spirit will use it in your life to inform your mind, to feed your soul, and to help you grow in your faith in Christ. Please turn with me in your Bibles to Exodus chapter 16, reading verses 1 through 36. Exodus 16, verse 1, it's page 58 in the Bibles there in the chairs. Israel has come through the Red Sea, and the passage just prior to this when the Lord has provided uh, water for them, water they found that they couldn't drink, and the Lord essentially purified it, and uh, then later they came to Elim, which was something about an oasis, uh, plenty of water there. So we pick up with chapter 16, verse 1. They set out from Elim, and all the congregation of the people of Israel came to the wilderness of Sin, which is between Elim and Sinai, on the 15th day of the second month after they had departed from the land of Egypt. And the whole congregation of the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. And the people of Israel said to them, Would that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt, when we sat by the meat pots and ate bread to the full. For you have brought us out into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. And the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I am about to rain bread from heaven for you. And the people shall go out and gather a day's portion every day that I may test them whether they will walk in my law or not. On the sixth day, when they prepare what they bring in, it will be twice as much as they gather daily. So Moses and Aaron said to the people of Israel, At evening you shall know that it was the Lord who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. And in the morning you shall see the glory of the Lord, because he has heard your grumbling against the Lord. What are we that you grumble against us? And Moses said, When the Lord gives you in the evening meat to eat, in the morning bread to the full, because the Lord has heard your grumbling that you grumble against him, what are we? Your grumbling is not against us, but against the Lord. Then Moses uh, said to Aaron, Say to the whole congregation of the people of Israel, Come near before the Lord, for he has heard your grumbling. And as soon as Aaron spoke to the whole congregation of the people of Israel, they looked toward the wilderness, and behold, the glory of the Lord appeared in a cloud. And the Lord said to Moses, I have heard the grumbling of the people of Israel. Say to them, At twilight you shall eat meat, and in the morning you shall be filled with bread, and you shall know that I am the Lord your God. In the evening quail came up and covered the camp, and in the morning dew lay around the camp. When the dew had gone up, there was on the face of the wilderness a fine, flake-like thing, fine as frost on the ground. When the people of Israel saw it, they said to one another, What is it? They did not know what it was. Moses said to them, It is the bread that the Lord has given you to eat. This is what the Lord has commanded. Gather of it, each one of you, as much as he can eat. You shall each take an omer, it was about two liters, according to the number of the persons that each of you has in his tent. And the people of Israel did so. They gathered some more, some less, 
But when they measured it with an omer, whoever gathered much had nothing left over, and whoever gathered little had no lack. Each of them gathered as much as he could eat. And Moses said to them, Let no one leave any of it over till the morning. But they did not listen to Moses. Some left part of it till the morning, and it bred worms and stank. And Moses was angry with them. Morning by morning they gathered it, each as much as he could eat. When the sun grew hot, it melted. On the sixth day they gathered twice as much bread, two omers each. And when all the leaders of the congregation came and told Moses, he said to them, This is what the Lord has commanded. Tomorrow is a day of solemn rest, a holy Sabbath to the Lord. Bake what you will bake, and boil what you will boil, and all that is left over lay aside to be kept till the morning. So they laid it aside till the morning, as Moses commanded them, and it did not stink, and there were no worms in it. Moses said, Eat it today, for today is a Sabbath to the Lord. Today you will not find, find it in the field. Six days you shall gather it, but on the seventh day, which is a Sabbath, there will be none. On the seventh day, some of the people went out to gather, but they found none. And the Lord said to Moses, How long will you refuse to keep my commandments and my laws? See, the Lord has given you the Sabbath. Therefore, on the sixth day, he gives you bread for two days. Remain each of you in his place. Let no one go out of his place on the seventh day. So the people rested on the seventh day. Now, the house of Israel called its name manna. It was like coriander seed, white. The taste of it was like wafers made with honey. Moses said, this is what the Lord has commanded. Let an omer of it be kept throughout your generations so that they may see the bread with which I fed you in the wilderness when I brought you out of the land of Egypt. And Moses said to Aaron, take a jar, put an omer of manna in it and place it before the Lord to be kept throughout your generations. As the Lord commanded Moses, so Aaron placed it before the testimony to be kept. The people of Israel ate the manna 40 years till they came to a habitable land. They ate the manna till they came to the border of the land of Canaan. An omer is the tenth part of an ephah. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for your word and for this chapter that we've read. And we pray that as we study it, that we would worship you. And pray as we study it, that we would learn those truths, those lessons that you have for us here today. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. PCA pastor turned Wheaton College president, Phil Riken, hits the nail on the head when he, when he wrote, whining was Israel's besetting sin. We're starting to notice that as we study uh, Israel, as they've come out of Egypt, that they tend to whine, they tend to complain pretty quickly, pretty easily. It started actually in Egypt. When Moses goes to Pharaoh, and instead of things getting better, uh, they were complaining because things were getting worse. Uh, it even continues after the Lord has brought them through the Red Sea, as we've seen. When they didn't find water for a few days, they start grumbling. And now they've come away from this place, Elim, where there's plenty of water. And uh, they set out, the congregation of the people, uh, into the wilderness of Sin, or Shen, a Hebrew letter can be pronounced both ways, uh, probably only in English that there's the coincidence it's the wilderness of sin. Uh, I'm not sure that the Hebrews would have understood it quite that way. But they set out, and as uh, they begin to feel, as, as Pooh Bear would say, a little rumbly in my tumbly, they're getting hungry. 
and they start to uh, complain. They start to grumble. And notice it, it escalates. Verse 2 says, The whole congregation of the people of Israel grumbled against Moses, not just Moses, but Aaron. And there's an emphasis. It was everybody. It was the whole congregation. It wasn't quite that strongly put in the passage just prior to this one. And they, they not only complain, but they start looking, something that happens more than once, they start looking back on their time in Egypt and the pain and the humiliation uh, of that time has begun to fade. Because they're starting to get this, you know, remember good old Egypt mentality going here. You see this uh, in verse 3. Would that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt. They're essentially saying, we, if only we too had died in those plagues that the Lord sent. Back in those good old days when we sat by the meat pots and ate bread to the full, you'd think they just were lounging around all day having grapes drop in their mouths or something. Uh, for you, Moses and Aaron, have brought us out into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. Talk about rewriting history. You brought us out here to kill us. Well, then that brings the response of the Lord. And, of course, you and I wouldn't know anything at all about whining and complaining against the providences of the Lord. So we'll just look at them as a sort of detached case study, right? Right. Uh, You brought us out here to kill us with hunger. Now, notice verse 4, that this, too, is a test. We've already seen that word back in chapter 15, verse 25, where it says, There the Lord tested them. Well, here, too, the Lord continues to test his people. He's just redeemed. He's testing them. He's, he's teaching them. He's helping them sort of find who they are and who he is as their God. Now, you and I do have the advantage of knowing a whole lot more than they did. Uh, we have to recognize where they were. Uh, they still have not even met with God at Sinai yet. And all that we know of God from the scriptures really was, was fuzzy if it was there at all for them. So we have to recognize their immaturity at this point, but at the same time that the Lord is testing them and he's very gracious with them, just as he is with us, as he tests us and as he's teaching us and developing us and maturing us and bringing us along. Well, basically, as we look at this chapter, it's a chapter about the Lord providing and uh, that the Lord provides so that his people will live. He provides in this chapter specifically in three ways. Uh, if we just want to put it in one word, he provides first with food. And really, that's kind of the bulk of this chapter is the Lord's providing food for his people. We're familiar with that. Look at verse four. The Lord said to Moses, I'm about to rain bread from heaven for you, and the people shall go out and gather a day's portion every day, that I may test them whether they will walk in my law or not. It's almost, uh, almost Eden-like. And the Lord puts down this one, one law that Adam and Eve are to obey. Well, here, God is putting down some provisions, some, some instructions, and he wants to see whether they will obey or not. Now, is God providing for his people only because they grumble and complain against him? Of course not. I mean, he does this very patiently and graciously in response, but he's going to provide for them. In fact, the grumbling was, was, was wrong. It was out of, out of line. They should trust in him, look to him, because he was going to provide for them. But he does act here in response to their complaining and addresses that. 
He talks about this, this bread from heaven, uh, that to gather it each day. On the sixth day, they're to bring in twice as much as they would gather each day. And verse 6, Moses says to all the people, you'll know it was the Lord who brought you out of Egypt. It's not that Moses brought them out of Egypt, and he certainly didn't do it to kill them. It was the Lord who brought them out of Egypt. And you'll see the glory of the Lord. He's heard your grumbling. And, and he makes a very good point. What are we? Who am I, Moses says. And who is Aaron? You complain against us. Your complaining is not against us. It's against the Lord. A very, very important point. Uh, they, Moses and Aaron are the direct uh, and immediate representatives of the Lord, but actually it is the Lord, as he says, they're complaining against. And then notice verse 9, Moses says to Aaron, say to the whole congregation of the people, this, this prophet uh, relationship is still in place. Remember that the Lord gave Aaron to be his, his mouthpiece before Pharaoh, and Moses would tell him what to say, and Aaron would say it. Well, there's still something going on. Moses tells Aaron what to say to the people of Israel. And that's exactly what happens. The Lord's heard their grumbling, and he's responding uh, in patience before them. They see the glory of the Lord, uh, and so he says in verse 12, At twilight you shall eat meat, and in the morning you shall be filled with bread. Then you shall know that I am the Lord your God. Does that sound familiar? Remember, that's what kept happening in Egypt. Then they will know, the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord. Well, now you hear that toward Israel. So the Lord says he's going to provide for them. There'll be meat in the evening, and there'll be bread in the morning. How's that going to happen? Of course, that's the huge question. They're there on the wilderness. Well, verse 13, in the evening, quail came down, covered the camp. The morning dew lay around the camp. Well, the quail, quail were common there. Uh, quail tended to uh, migrate at night. Uh, they would be very tired in the, in, the, in the morning. They could be caught with the hand. All of that is, is well known. Uh, they tended to travel with the wind. Uh, the wind was associated with bringing quail in, in in the scriptures, and there were quail in the Sinai Peninsula. However, um, in the providence of God, it was there where Israel was, and it was there in sufficient numbers uh, in order to feed so great a number of people. So the Lord provides meat for them. But of course, the focus on this passage isn't on the quail. Uh, I think it's interesting in, 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 the, in the ESV chapter heading, before verse 16, says bread from heaven. The focus is on the manna, maybe because it was more mysterious. Everybody knows what a quail is. The manna, that was weird. That was different. But, uh, but he did provide the quail, and we don't want to forget that. They did have this meat of the quail to eat that the Lord provided. But the focus is on the manna. Well, they get up in the morning, and there's this heavy dew, and the dew evaporates, leaving what it describes as a fine flake-like thing, fine as frost on the ground. In the uh, sort of the epilogue at the end of the chapter, uh, it further describes the manna as like coriander seed, white, tasted like wafers made with honey. So it kind of gives us some idea of, of what it was like. But our response tends to be that of the people of Israel who saw it and said to one another, Manhu, what is it? Uh, they didn't know what it was, uh, but that's what everybody called it. Manhu became manna, manna, that's what it was. Uh, what is it? That became its name. What is it? Yes. Uh, manhu, what is it? But that's the name of it. And Moses answers, well, it's the bread that the Lord has given you to eat. And the instructions, gather enough for you to eat and for those in your household to eat for the day. Don't keep any of it till the next day. 
However, on the sixth day, go out and gather a double portion of it and keep it to the next day. And so that's that's what they do. Verse 17, they go out and gather it, and they had enough to eat, uh, neither too much nor too little. And Moses said, verse 19, don't leave any of it till morning. Some of them did. Verse 19, uh, don't leave it. Verse 20, they didn't listen to Moses. Some of it they kept till morning, and it had gone bad. In fact, it bred worms. Stank, smell bad. Same word that's used of the Nile River when it was contaminated with the blood. It, it stank. Just became nasty. And not only did the manna become nasty, Moses got really angry. Uh, the word that it uses there, Moses was angry with them. It's a stronger word as Hebrew can use for anger. He he he'd reached it. He had had enough. You, know, you give people instructions and they just don't follow it. And that's exactly what happened. Moses became very angry. Um, so that brings us then to verse 22. But before we move on and look at that next part, let's just talk a little bit uh, about the man of God's provision. Point, though, of the instructions was, one, God provided for them. But they weren't to hoard it. They weren't to store it up. They weren't to keep it for the next day. You know, you, you think of the Lord's Prayer. We prayed that earlier. Uh, that that reflects the principle of the manna. Give us today, give us this day our daily bread. The point is that while God provided, they weren't to just think, well, God provided today, but we can't trust him for tomorrow, so let's, let's hoard up plenty for the next few days just in case this doesn't happen again tomorrow. God says, no, you're going to have to trust me day by day. Each day, again, trusting that the manna will be there in the morning for you, and the quail in the afternoon, of course, in the evening. Uh, Charles Spurgeon, a Baptist preacher in London in the 1800s, had a little rhyme that occurs several times in his sermons and writings uh, that has to do with trust. And the, the little rhyme that he would say was, Day by day the manna fell, oh, to learn that lesson well. That the Lord provides each day what they would need. However, when it came to the sixth day, they were to gather twice as much. They were to provide for the next day, the seventh day. Now, when they tried to hoard it overnight, they'd get up in the morning and the stuff was inedible. It was vile. All you could do is get, get rid of it. But um, not so on the sixth day. But the Lord provides, and that's the point that they needed to learn. That's the point we need to learn. Uh, God provides for us each day. He provides for us according to his timing, according to when he wants to, not necessarily to give it all to us at once, provide all at once so that we don't need to trust the Lord ever again. That's what he was heading off there. That's what he was teaching them. Now, obviously, as the Lord provides, we save. We save funds. We do store it for retirement or emergencies or whatever, and it's wise to do that. But we do need to recognize the lesson of the manna, that we are trusting the Lord each day, that he will provide, that he will meet our needs. Now, that's one of the things that the Lord provides is food, just the the daily necessities. There they were in the wilderness. God knew They needed to eat. He knew they needed water. That was not news to him. Second thing that God provides for his people in the wilderness, interestingly enough, is rest. Is rest. And we see this in verses 22 through 30. The sixth day, which, of course, by our reckoning would be Friday, uh, they gathered twice as much bread, two omers. Basically, an omer was about a two-liter bottle. It's worth noting that... um, you know, it talks about gathering an omer. What you have in verse 36 is basically the text's own footnote. 
and Omer is the tenth part of an ephah, which to us is not exactly helpful information. Oh, tenth part of an ephah, sure, I got it. But so the ESV has its own footnote, and Omer was about two quarts or two liters. Think of a two-liter bottle. Uh, but it is worth noting that Moses supplies his own footnote here in the text as far as the amount they were to gather. But then the Lord also provides rest for them. They were to gather on the sixth day twice as much. Verse 23, this is what the Lord has commanded. Tomorrow is a day of solemn rest, a holy Sabbath to the Lord. First time that word is used in Scripture, the word Sabbath. Bake what you'll bake, boil what you'll boil. All that's left over lay aside to be kept till the morning. Well, wait a minute, Moses. We've already learned if we keep it overnight, the stuff goes bad fast. Well, Moses says, this is what the Lord told them, to store it twice as much, keep it over for the seventh day, which they did, verse 24. It did not stink, and there were no worms in it, or worse, half of worms in it. It was good. Moses said, verse 25, eat it today, for today is a Sabbath to the Lord. Today you will not find the manna in the field. Six days you shall gather it, but on the seventh day, which is the Sabbath, there will be none. Now, it's worth noting a number of things here. One, God gives them what Pharaoh didn't, a day off. A day off free from having to worry about foraging for the manna, for the food. In fact, God apparently didn't even provide it on the seventh day. Uh, they were to store up, provide for the seventh day. Uh, but the point is that God gave them this day off, this day of rest, which they never got in their slavery in Egypt. You see the Lord's mercy, the Lord's provision in giving them this day that's free. It was a day they had to trust the Lord, that the Lord would provide the other six days of the week, and on the sixth day that he would provide enough for that seventh day of the week. They had to prepare for that day, but also trusting that there would be enough for that day and enough for the rest of the, the days of the week as well. So that's one thing to notice, is that the Lord gives them this rest, which they didn't have in Egypt. The Lord gives them this rest, which is a sign of, of, and they're keeping it, a sign of faith in him. It's also worth noting that there's a Sabbath at all. Because we haven't gotten to the Ten Commandments yet. And those who would say, well, the Sabbath was just part of the Moses covenant, just part of, uh, you know, Old Testament Israel after the Ten Commandments. Well, certainly the Fourth Commandment deals with the Sabbath. But it bases it on God's resting on the seventh day in creation. And you'll notice that that principle is in effect here. That they are going to be keeping the Sabbath. It will be distinct. It is a holy day. It's set apart. We haven't even gotten to the Ten Commandments yet. The basis for it is not the covenant at Sinai. The basis for this day of rest, this Sabbath, is God's pattern in creation. Ten Commandments regulate it, sort of uh, institutionalize it, but it's worth noting that principle is already in effect here. And so the Lord has given them rest. He gives them food as well in the midst of the rest. And it teaches us that the purpose of life is not a frantic struggle to get what we need to exist, but rather the relationship with the Lord and trust that he will provide. And we have, have that rest. I remember uh, in, in seminary particularly putting that into practice in terms of not studying on the Lord's Day, which was, re- which was liberating. It was refreshing. It just no study, guilt-free. Of course, it meant I had to study all the more the other six days, which I did, uh, but it was nice. It was refreshing just to say, Lord, I'm going to set this aside, put, put aside the work. I'm just going to rest, do other things, 
and uh, trust that the work of the other six days is sufficient to to get it done. And it was nice. It was it was refreshing and liberating. So that's the second thing that God gives. But notice verse 27 on the seventh day, some of the people went out to gather, found none. The Lord said to Moses, how long will you refuse to keep my commandments and my laws? Notice he says this to Moses because Moses is their leader. And that's why Moses was so angry when they disobeyed. He knew that he's the one who stood before the Lord and answered. But notice, the Lord says, how long will you refuse to keep my commandments and my laws? Now, that's a little ominous because if you go back to Exodus 10, verse 3, the Lord says of Pharaoh's refusal to acknowledge who he is through the plagues, uh, about a little over halfway through the plagues, the Lord says to, to Pharaoh, how long will you continue to resist me? Well, again, that question, how long will you refuse to keep my commandments and my law? See, the Lord has given you the Sabbath. Therefore, on the sixth day, he gives you bread for two days. and kept it from spoiling. Refrain, remain each of you in his place. Let no one go out of his place on the seventh day. So the people rested on the seventh day. So the Lord gives them this rest. But that, too, was uh, an area in which to be obeyed. When they went out, some of them went out on the seventh day looking for the manna. You know, they said, well, that's innocent enough. The Lord wasn't pleased with that. They needed to trust him. They needed to let the six days collecting it be sufficient. But notice, the Lord gives them food. He gives them what they need there. He gives them rest. And then we're back to something very familiar. He gives them a reminder. Now, we've seen before how the Lord likes to give tangible reminders to his people of, of different things, even going way back to Abraham, the, the mark, the sign of circumcision, the covenant sign. But much more recently, the Lord gives them the Passover meal by which they remember how he brought them out of their slavery in Egypt. And they were to celebrate that meal each year uh, as a way of remembering. But notice here in verse 31, uh, verse 31 describes the, uh, the manna, a little more detail. This is kind of like an afterthought or an epilogue. Moses said, verse 32, this is what the Lord has commanded. Let an omer of it be kept throughout your generations so that they may see the bread with which I fed you in the wilderness when I brought you out of the land of Egypt. Moses said to Aaron, take a jar, put an omer of manna in it, place it before the Lord to be kept throughout your generations. That's what he did. Verse 34, placed it before the testimony to be kept. Now, these verses, I think, were written considerably later. The reason being, the language of putting it before the testimony has to do with the tabernacle and the Ark of the Covenant as the presence of the Lord. And actually, there was this, it was recorded as this being part of uh, what was in the, in the Ark, at least at one point, this jar of manna, which God kept from spoiling. It either spoiled or didn't spoil at the will of the Lord, uh, which course, is just a specific instance of his overall providence, but it was kept to be a reminder. It was kept so that when the people were tempted to doubt the faithfulness of God, they need only see or think about or remember that jar of manna that said, no, the Lord will provide for you. The Lord will meet all of your needs. You don't need to be anxious. You don't need to fret. The Lord knows your needs and he'll provide for you. And we have a reminder, too, of course, the great reminder of the Lord's Supper that Jesus himself gave to us, that new covenant form of the Passover meal, to remind us of our salvation, yes, but also with that, that God will graciously, in Christ Jesus, give us everything 
that we need for this life, for the life to come. What's the point in saving us for eternity if only to starve us now? Well, we'd be in eternity that much sooner, but God is faithful to provide in the, the, the smaller things of life that we need, just as he is in the greater things of our redemption. And so God provides us with a reminder, and we have that in the Lord's Supper. Now, you know, we look at this, and we see God providing physically for them, and we look at a passage that we read earlier, like uh, Matthew 6, of God's promise, Christ's promise, that he will provide for us physically. But that's not to be the focus of our lives. Life's not a mad scramble for essentials and stuff. It's to serve the Lord, and that's Jesus' point. Serve the Lord. Seek first his kingdom, his righteousness, that relationship with God, that expansion of his kingdom in this world, and God's going to provide all the other stuff that you need, that the Gentiles seek. That's what the, that's what the unbelievers live for. Jesus says, don't live for that. You live for the Lord, and the Lord will provide you all that stuff that they so eagerly run and, and often futilely run after. But we would be remiss if we looked at this passage and just left it at material Provision, as important as that is, and as faithful as God is in that. Turn with me back to John chapter 6. Because the manna is meant to point to something much bigger than just that God provides for a rumbly tumbly. John 6, verse 30. Jesus is talking to the crowd that's gathered, and they say to him, verse 30, John 6, verse 30, Then what sign do you do, Jesus, that we may see and believe you? What work will you perform? Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. What about it, Jesus? What sign are you going to do? After all, our ancestors got manna. Hmm? You do something like that, right? Jesus said to them, verse 32, Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my father gives you the true bread from heaven. Now, he converges two thoughts there. First of all, it wasn't Moses who gave them the manna. It was the Lord, the same Lord who gives not just the manna, but what it represented and pointed forward to, the true bread from heaven. Verse 33, For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. That sounds good, sir. Give us this bread always. Verse 35, Jesus said to them, I am bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. Whoever believes to me in me shall never thirst. You see, the Lord provides for us in this life, but we want to be certain that it's not only for this life. For some, it will be only for this life that God in his common grace provides. But the manna assures us that not only does God provide for us now, but he provides for us for eternity. As Jesus says, that, that bread from heaven points to the true bread from heaven. Jesus is the true manna, the bread of life, which when we eat of it, when we believe in him, we'll never be hungry again. Now, we'll never eat manna in this world. I mean, to us, it will always be something of a mystery to which we simply say, what is it? But you can enjoy the true manna that the Father has sent from heaven. The one who trusts in him, Jesus goes on to say uh, in verse 40, will have eternal life. Jesus says, I will raise him up on the last day. Let's pray. 
Our Father, we thank you for the true bread that comes down from heaven, even our Lord Jesus. And Lord, in believing in him, we have fed on that true and living bread that gives us life, not just to sustain us for another day, but forever. Father, we thank you for your faithfulness in meeting the needs that we have in this world. Help us, Lord, not to doubt you. Help us to trust in you. Help us not to grumble against your providences, but rest in them, trusting your goodness. But above all, Father, we pray that by your grace we would eat and continue to feed upon the one who is the bread of life, who gives eternal life, sustains forever. We pray it in his name. Amen.